Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, powered by BasketballNews.com. If you missed it, BasketballNews.com launched on Friday, and we have a ton of great articles up on the site right now, including pieces by Atan Thomas, Vane Del Negro, James Posey, Quinn Cook, Spencer Davies, Nikias Duncan. I wrote a few pieces as well, so be sure to go check those out. Also, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to this right now. As a new podcast, we need those ratings and reviews to continue growing, so that's really the best way that you can show your support for this podcast right now. Today, my guest is one of my new colleagues at BasketballNews.com, Etan Thomas, who pumped out five amazing articles in the last week and a half. He's also written several books, such as More Than an Athlete and We Matter, Athletes and Activism. Of course, he also played 11 seasons in the NBA. Etan, thanks for joining me. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. We're teammates now. Uh, we've been on the same team before back at Hoopsite, but it's good to be teammates again. <laughs> uh, definitely. Definitely is good. Like, as I told you, you know, I was, as soon as you told me about it, I was like, oh, okay, no, this is great because I'm familiar with you and how you edit and everything like that. So that's, yeah, it works. So I'm happy to be a part of it. I want to start by talking about basketballnews.com just a bit since we both work there and I really haven't given a lot of information just yet. You know, I tweeted out about our launch, but uh, this is still very new. We just launched on Friday and we have some really cool things planned for the site. Our staff includes current and former NBA players like Atan, Kenyon Martin, Vinny Del Negro, James Posey, Troy Brown Jr. Uh, We also have journalists like myself, Spencer Davies, and Nikias Duncan. Every day we're putting out new content, articles, videos, podcasts. We're going to have long-form content like web series and documentaries and our goal is to launch 10 podcasts in our first year uh, a number of them are going to be hosted by players some are going to be hosted by journalists like this one uh, and we're really excited about kind of the you know the direction that we're heading we're going to keep expanding our staff we're already having talks with other players uh, a few more media people so it's a really exciting time uh, and i'm glad we finally launched because we've been putting tons of work into this for months so i'm excited that you guys can finally see all the hard work that we've been putting into this uh Atan, why did you decide to join basketballnews.com as a writer well honestly to be honest with you it's because of you <laughs> because, <laughs> um you know like i said we we worked with each other a lot um when you was with hoops hype so i was familiar with how you edit and you know for all, any writers understand or you know it, it, it's an editing kind of war sometimes with some sites to be honest with you um you get so frustrated you don't even want to write anymore and so you you have a way of um, allowing me the, the the freedom to be able to express myself without trying to edit me down so much or 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 limit my voice or completely change what I'm trying to say to say what you think it should say. <laughs> and that's like a real frustrating process for a writer. So as soon as you like I said, you didn't even really have to sell it on me much. I was like, oh, you're involved in it. OK, cool. Yeah, let's do it. I love to be a part of it. Well, I appreciate that. That really means a lot. And, and you've been incredible. You've been pumping out articles left and right. Uh, I had to joke with you, you know, you're a machine. Uh, a topic pops up and then, you know, you got an article ready for me in my email, uh, you know, a, a couple hours later. Uh, you've also been getting great quotes for your pieces, reaching out to different players and coaches and analysts. I've been so impressed. Um, when did you start writing, you know, and when did you realize that, you know, you were pretty talented at it? Well, I started writing really young. I started writing like in middle school. Um, and I was also in speech and debate. So I would write my own things and I would write my own speeches and I would write my own articles and things of that nature. So I kind of started that really, really young and kept doing it all through high school, all through college. And while I was in the pros, I just, you know, writing has always kind of been a passion of mine. Um, you know, I wrote my first book while I was, while I was, um, you know, what was that my second or third year in the league? 
Uh, it was a collection of poems, and I just kept writing from there. So writing is just something that I, I just have a passion, always have a passion to do. I feel like you've done a fantastic job of transitioning from your NBA career to your post-basketball career. You know, you mentioned that you were doing some of the writing while you were in the NBA, but, you know, since retiring, you're an author, you've written for The Guardian, The Washington Post, ESPN, you host a podcast, you do speaking engagements. You know, what advice would you give to players who are nearing retirement and who aren't really sure what to do? I'll say find your passion while you're still playing. So I already had that passion while I was playing. You know, I was writing while I was playing. I was writing for Hoops Hype with you while I was playing, you know, so I don't wait until, you know, the you're actually retired to try to figure out what you're going to do next. You know, find that passion while you're still in the middle of your playing. That's what I would say. Well, I'm so glad you're on our team. You've been doing incredible work, so keep that up. Um, one thing that you've covered really well is the recent activism in the NBA. You wrote a great article about the Jacob Blake situation and said, what the NBA and WNBA have done this season can't be overlooked. This is one of the largest collective athlete activist movements since the 1960s. As a former NBA player and an activist yourself, how proud are you of the players for taking this stand? Oh, I'm definitely proud of them. I mean, because, you know, it's, so, so throughout my entire career, you know, I, I kind of had a reputation of being an athlete activist because I was always speaking on different things and standing up for different things and stuff like that. So all the time, you know, I'm, I'm in these panel discussions or I'm in, you know, these things like that. And the, the topic is, why aren't any of the athletes today like the athletes of the 60s? That's, that's the, how the topic is. And they want you to, they wanted me to criticize all the current athletes. So it always turned into me actually defending all the current athletes because you know so i I'm, i was happy to see this recent boom of athlete activism and that's one of the reasons really why i wrote my book my recent book uh, we matter athletes and activism and you know because i wanted to highlight it because i've always known it was there i've had the conversations with all the athletes about it you know what i mean like i i've had the discussions i know how they feel so you know that that's what i was kind of always saying that no y'all y'all think that Everybody doesn't care. That's not true. You know, and, and people, it's just always interesting because people think they know how athletes think and what they do and how they feel and everything like that, but they, they don't really know. So that's why having the opportunity to write about it or interview people with my podcast about it, the rematch, or, you know what I mean? Being able to show everyone a different side of athletes, you know, it's something I always had a passion to do. As you mentioned, you know, you've always used your platform uh, and spoke about different topics that were important to you during your playing days. How was that received? Because back then, I feel like the response was very different than it is in 2020. You know, all, all we've, we've seen throughout history, many athletes have been activists. But I feel like, uh, you know, back when you were playing, was it received differently than it is now? Oh, definitely. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, when, when I was playing, it was kind of a quiet time. And then before that, it was really just like, you know, it was Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf. And then, and, and, you know, a lot of other people were kind of quiet. So it was it, it, it was a different time. So, you know, a, a lot of the I'll give you an example. So I had some different people from The Washington Times. Uh, what is it? Oh, Tom Knott. I remember his name. He hated me with mm. a passion just because uh, the stance that I would take against the war in Iraq and against Bush. And he was kind of, he Laura Ingram to me before <laughs> Laura Ingram said that to, to LeBron. So he was like, he just hate, like, how dare you, how dare this athlete have the audacity to speak out against George W. Bush? You know, like that's the tone of what, what he actually wrote. But this is not like just saying he actually wrote articles saying that. And, you know, that was, it, it was, 
it was a situation where, you know, we didn't have social media. So I didn't feel the sting as much if I, as I would have if we did have social media. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was just yeah. Fun. But yeah, no, some people, it, it, was, it was extremes. It was either people really, really loved me for speaking out and saying what I'm saying or really, really were upset and angry that I had the audacity to speak out and say it was like one or the other. There was no middle ground. That's just how it was for a while with me. Well, I think that makes it even more impressive that you were willing to speak out. And we see that today with players, too, where, you know, if they comment on some of these issues, you look at their social media mentions and it's just a ton of hate and vitriol. You know, how how tough is it for players who want to speak out and, you know, talk about something that's important to them? And do you feel like some players are silenced because it doesn't seem worth it to them or they're scared of the reaction? Um, I think a lot of times they're scared of the reaction, at least back then. But see, now that's the difference um, where you have the top players speaking out and the top players being LeBron James. You know what I mean? And, and you know, that and that, so now it's spread like wildfire. Now, everybody has the you know, courage to be able to speak out because the top player is doing it. So and it was different back then. <laughs> top players wasn't speaking out. Top players was quiet. Right. So, you know, everybody else, it was a risk. I mean, I had so many different players come up to me and say, hey. You know, I really, you know, love what you're saying. I love what you're doing, but you got to be careful, man. You don't want to be done like Craig Hodges. You know what I mean? You don't want to be done like Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf. And that was a constant fear because that was like, you know, like how the NFL did with Kaepernick. And they wanted to, you know, use him as an example to quiet everybody else, which is the reason why. You know what I mean? That's what when I was playing, the people were Craig Hodges and Mahmoud Abdul-Aruf that I always heard referenced. I always heard you know, be careful because remember what happened to them. So that was really, you know, why a lot of players were quiet. Yeah, I mean, we saw Craig Hodges tried to get Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan on board yeah. with the boycott in the NBA Finals. And, you know, at the time, those guys weren't really listening. So, but yeah, I mean, if they had, if they had participated and, and gotten on board, then the Craig Hodges situation probably plays out very differently. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think LeBron is so important in what he's doing right now. You wrote a great article about this for basketballnews.com about how, you know, he lets other players know that it's okay to speak out and take these public stances. I feel like LeBron, his influence, you know, on the court, obviously, but then off the court, it's incredible, not only just with the activism, but also what he's done, you know, as a businessman, um, the way he's kind of, uh, you know, put his friends and, and people in his life around him and uh, structured his camp. Uh, I feel like, Players look at that, and he's so influential. We've seen so many guys try to copy those different things. You know, when you look at LeBron's impact off the court, what are some things that stand out to you? Oh, everything that you just mentioned. I mean, the fact that he, you know, I mean, just look at the the school that he's opened, the things that he's been passionate about, the way that he use his, uses his platform and his, you know, his voice. I mean, he's LeBron James. When he says something, you know, everybody hears it. And he, you know, the leadership that he shows, it's just you, you have to take your hat off to him, you know, I mean, because he doesn't have to do any of that. He ain't got to do that. You know, he could just be quiet, not say anything, you know, and take that kind of route. But that's not what he does. And, you know, the, the, the model that he's using as far as how he's diversifying his investments and things that he's doing off the court. Oh, man, just from a business standpoint, I mean, there should be a course at every school of the you know LeBron James uh, business model, <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean because what he's what he's doing is just phenomenal, and players should watch, and players should learn from it, and emulate it, and do and you know see what he's doing. 
Um, I just read where he had a um, what did he get? Uh, I don't want to say the, the the amount could be correct, but it's multi million dollar. Um, you know, he's getting paid to in, to create a media conglomerate, and it's just like wow, you know that. The, you're watching a movie and all of a sudden it's LeBron James production. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just the, the stuff that he's doing is, is, is amazing. No, absolutely. And then to be able to do all that and then still make time for the activism and, and taking a stand, I think it's really impressive. Uh, I know you interviewed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on your podcast, The Rematch, and I spoke with him about two years ago, and he told me LeBron could just go buy a private island and just say, goodbye, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm not doing anything with you guys. But instead, he chooses to do all this, and that's what is so impressive about it. Uh, and I know Kareem had some, you know, praise for LeBron in, in your article saying that, you know, he's standing on the shoulders of guys like Kareem and... Uh, uh, you know, the, all the different activists that we've seen in sports. So, yeah, I think uh, his he's definitely had an impact on the league. I think he was instrumental in getting this uh, social reform coalition that we saw the NBA and MBPA agree to form. We also know that they're going to turn many NBA arenas into voting sites. What do you right. think of that? I mean, I think it's great, honestly. I mean, I can't say enough. I, I think it's great. I think that, you know, it's interesting because right now you're seeing a lot of player a lot of people criticizing the players for going back to playing after the 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 two-day um work stoppage uh strike and it's interesting because it's like you know i i said it on msnbc yesterday i said you know people have to remember and remind themselves that it's not the job of professional athletes to you know fix the issue of policing in america you know what i mean i mean we they have people for that. That that's all the people who are at the the you know Republican convention and the Democratic convention, all the senators, all the that's their job. You know what I mean? The 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 NBA players and WNBA, they made their statements. They're doing their part. They're forming their coalitions. They're doing now. Of course, you could always say, you know, could they do more? Could they do this? Okay, yeah, but let's acknowledge what they did. I mean, the MLB, you know, they don't really have a reputation of being activists. Let's just be honest, they don't. And they stood in solidarity with the NBA and the WNBA. So it's like, you know, their their message was well sent, you know, after Jacob Blake's murder, you know, and they're using their media and, you know, the way that they're, you know, explaining everything and breaking everything down because there's power in that. Like people have to understand the reason why it's important to hear Doc Rivers and, you know, Robert Ori, who's a retired player, you know, and, and hear, you know, LeBron and hear Chris Paul and everybody talking about, you know, um, how this specifically affects them is because they have a lot of fans. They have a lot of fans that would only pay attention to it because they're fans of them. So since they have that platform, you know, they're kind of like, you know, humanizing other people who are not being looked at as human. And so they're they're doing what they're supposed to do. So it's just it just bothers me when I hear a lot of criticism of I'm like, wait a minute, how are you guys criticizing them? Like they've done what they're supposed to do. Like you you know, we just I don't know. Some people are just never happy. That's what it is. Right. I mean, we've talked about this, but certain people just can't win. No matter what, people are you know against them, and no matter what stance they take or what they do or how they go about it, the people aren't going to be supportive of them. And you know, it's unfortunate to see, but that's a reality. You know, is there anything else that you'd like to see the NBA players and/or owners do? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, there was a lot I would like to see them do. I, I would like to see the NBA um, players pressure 
and I, this is something I've just I've continuously been repeating. Um, the different NBA CEOs, like the James Dolan in New York and Jeannie Buss and, and um, Steven in L.A. and, you know, uh, Mickey Arrelson in, in Miami, like those billionaires to really use their power and their influence to bring about change beyond, you know, saying Black Lives Matter, beyond saying that they stand in solidarity with them, beyond speaking about it. Because they're, you know, and the reason why is because they're billionaires. They have a whole different level of influence. And if and if they're really going to be allies, let's 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 really push them to really be allies and use their power. You know, for instance, James Dolan in New York, okay? Billionaire in New York. He has power in, in, in the city of New York. He does. He's been to functions, I guarantee you, with all the top power people in New York. So what? So my, my thing is for the players to push them to while they're in the circle, you know, with, with, those, with those circle of people, to push them for change. So, for instance, if James Dolan went to the city of New York and said, okay, you know, I, I'm pushing you and I'm recommending to you and I want you to, to put pressure on the NYPD, to adopt these um, these these protocols of police accountability of of police reform and threaten to withhold your funding from them if they don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. To like force your hand, like no more just trying to convince everybody if you feel like it, if you want to, but take the FedEx the FedEx um standpoint here in DC. Fed, like for a long time, anybody who's in DC knows. That Dan Snyder, the CEO of, of the Washington football team, was not going to change the name. He was not. He was hell bent on keeping it. It doesn't matter how many Native American people said that they were against the name, he was going to keep it, right? And then you had the FedEx say, okay, if you do not change the name, you're going to lose us as a sponsor. And you're not going to be able to build a new arena with us as a title sponsor. And just like that, <laughs> he changed the name. Like it was like the next. In the next 48 hours. Yeah. And that's how quickly you can move the needle when you threaten to affect somebody's bottom line. And so I'm looking at these billionaires and I'm like, wait a minute, y'all got power to be able to go that route, the FedEx route. So that's why I'm like, okay, let's let's not just be satisfied with Mickey Harrison looking in the camera and saying Black Lives Matter. You know what I mean? Or or something like that. Let's let's push them to do a little more because that is something that can have an immediate impact on the entire situation and that's changing the rules and the laws of and police accountability. So that's why, that's what I feel. That's what I've been wanting them to push a little bit more for. Do you feel like the players should have resumed the season? Uh, you know, obviously we saw they, they were on strike essentially for that, the Wednesday slate of games. They postponed those. The next day's games were also postponed. Do you feel like the players made the right decision in coming back? I mean, I got to respect the player's decision. You know what I mean? I mean, they made their statement. I mean, I, and they, they formed the, the, the coalition, um, the Social Justice Fund, and they listed a lot of things that they're going to be focused on, with, which involves police accountability, pushing for police accountability, um, the voters registration, um, you know, the criminal justice reform, all these things in there. They, they formed a coalition of different NBA CEOs, different management, different coaches, different, and they... So they put that all in place. So there, there, there are a lot of things happening right now. So I think it's great. But I think the message that they sent when they um, decided to go on strike, I think the message was well received. Yeah. Now, you know, there, there's been talk that some teams wanted to cancel the whole season. Other teams 
you know, didn't. And I, you know, that that's debatable, you know, but I think that their message has been sent. So whenever I'm going on any program, that's my position, you know, is is the players are doing what they're supposed to do. Now, can we push them to do more? Of course. But I'm not going to criticize them for coming back to playing. I'm, I'm not going to do that at all. Yeah, I agree with you. I know Anthony Davis and others have said if the owners don't, you know, live up to their side of this, then we can still opt out. We, you know, if they don't deliver on what was promised, then we can walk away still. So they're definitely sure. holding the owners accountable. I feel like now this is kind of a larger conversation, but I feel like certain owners are, you know, genuine and actually want to help. And then certain owners are doing this because they feel like they have to, or it's almost performative. Um, I feel like we're going to learn a lot about uh, some of these owners in the next few years based on the decisions and how involved they are. And, you know, uh, do you feel like uh, it's going to be interesting to kind of, you know, learn a bit more about these owners and see who really cares about these causes? Oh, definitely. I mean, and then also we have to look at uh, which ones are donating to which campaign. Yeah. And uh, I think that's a that's a big thing that that, you know, once you start looking at that, you're like, okay, I see. Um, So that tells a lot. And and that's that's, you know, but if if they are willing to um, help or they're not willing to help and certain teams are and certain teams are. And so, you know, like personally, I had a after I wrote my article, um, I had a, a good conversation with Mark Cuban. You know, I was the first player Mark Cuban ever drafted with the Dallas Mavericks. And so we have a relationship. And he talked to me and he said, hey, you know, I like your suggestion. He's like, and you're absolutely right. He's like, we can't do more. He's like, and we should do more. He's like, and I'm going to try to do more. He's like, I like So we had a long, you know, going back and forth, messaging each other and him, you know, telling me what he's done. And he's done a lot. And he's, you know, pushing for a lot. And he gets frustrated a lot. And he's someone who... Um, because I interviewed him also for my book, uh, We Matter. And because, and the reason why I wanted to interview him is the fact that he is so outspoken about Trump. And I was like, you usually don't hear too many NBA CEOs that as, as outspoken as Mark Cuban has been. And he explained to me how um, that's his passion. And he said, you're right. A lot of them are quiet. And he said, also, there are some of them that are supporting him. Yeah, <laughs> And he said, I'm not going to name anybody names, but you can look it up yourself. That's what he told me. And I was like, okay, well, that then that will say a lot. And, um, you know, but I think, I think the players are doing a good job of holding them accountable. And I'm glad that Anthony Davis said that. And I hope they just continue to hold them accountable. I know some fans are probably listening right now and wondering, okay, well, how does this impact basketball? How does this impact the on-court product? And I'm kind of curious. We saw this kind of uh, after George Floyd's death, we saw that uh, the New York Knicks didn't put out a statement. James Dolan didn't put out a statement for, I think it was like a week and a half, where everyone else was saying Black Lives Matter, putting out statements, showing their support, doing different things. But the Knicks were quiet for quite some time and a lot of their players were reportedly upset i talked to two or three players uh one on the podcast and then a few off the record and guys were frustrated about it it seemed like okay so you don't support us you don't support this cause and there was talk even that guys you know that that could impact the knicks as far as free agents and just keeping everyone even in their on their own team internally happy. So I mean, that's something that's interesting with this too. You're I think the teams that actually do care about this and, you know, uh 
show their show that they care not just you know say some things but actually with their actions show they care and are genuine those teams are 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 going to have the support of their players and the teams that don't support it i think there could be some consequences for them i think you're right um yeah i think you're very right and i think the thing about it is you know you can look in at the records and see who's supporting who <laughs> and you know you you mentioned james dolan because you brought him up but uh, but yeah, no, he's he's um, a Trump supporter. He was a Bush supporter. He was a John McCain supporter. He was donating to their um, campaign. He's donated. You know, he's that's the side that he's on. And, you know, so so you have to kind of see what that means and, and, and what that I mean, I remember Peter Holt from the San Antonio Spurs. I don't know if he's still with the Spurs, um, but I remember reading about how he was very much with the NRA, very much with the Republican Party. And he's in the state of Texas. He's exactly what you thought somebody, a business tycoon in Texas was. You know, I mean, that's that's what he was. But then you have other people who were um, supporters of the Democrat, like, you know, Herb Cole in Milwaukee. Um, you know, you had other other people, Ted Leonsis. Um, So I, I think that you it, it's important to see that part because and then see how they're supporting, if they're supporting with lip service or if they're supporting with actual tangible solutions. And that's the part that I want players to challenge them for tangible solutions. Like, don't just give me no set like like what you mentioned before about the um the the, the press releases. And you know, I of course I noticed that the that James Dolan didn't didn't was a little bit reluctant. To, to to give a press release. And I think he even said, well, we're not qualified to be able to, you know, comment yeah. on issue like that. I was like, but wait a minute, you've been a Trump supporter for how long? You've been a, so you qualified to do that, but you're not qualified to, to say Black Lives Matter? Like, that's what you say, James Dolan? And so you we got to hold them accountable. So so don't say it if you don't mean it. Like, words are not, words are cheap. You know what I mean? But don't But don't say that you, you know, support us and you support what, you know, sympathize and everything like that with us. And then you go in and you're supporting a cause that is opposite of, of what we're talking about. So I think the players definitely should continue to hold them, hold them accountable. That actually, you know, feel another article coming on. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm see- we're seeing your, we're seeing your writing process right here. Just this is how it works. Right. I feel like the NBA is never going to be the same again. You know, I remember when I started covering this league, it was, you know, kind of the stick to sports mentality. You don't talk about any of this stuff and, you know, oh, that's really polarizing. People are going to get upset. You know, you don't want, I, I know even back in the day, you, you didn't want to ask players about it because you were seemingly putting them in a position where they had to, you know, take a stand and go one way or the other. And that was kind of seen as uh, kind of an unwritten rule because you're putting them in a very uncomfortable position and kind of, you know, it, you just didn't want to ask those kind of questions. Now, you know, that's why I had to ask about how it's going to impact players going forward and deciding which teams they go to and which owner they want to support, you know, by bringing their talents to their team. I feel like the NBA is never going to be the same because guys are taking a stand and guys are suddenly realizing, you know, the, the difference they can make. And that's why, the, you know, the Bucks sitting out that game against the Magic, their game five, I mean, that was... That was huge. And it wasn't even just that. It's everything that we've seen over the last, you know, few months. I feel like we're never going to go back to the old NBA. This is going to be something that continues to change and evolve. And I'm excited about it. I think that's awesome. Oh, I think it's great. You know, I, I mean, I love this time. I love seeing players, you know, speak so passionately and be so aware and um, be so aware publicly. 
You know what I mean? Because I would always see players speak that way privately because they would speak to me. Maybe it was just because they knew how I felt. And so they felt free to speak it around me. <laughs> but I would like literally always talk to players and have these kind of conversations with them. So that's why when people would say, well, players don't really care about politics and players aren't interested in their community. I'm like, no, that's not true. Uh, who told you that? You know, what I, mean? I was like, that is 100 percent inaccurate. And, you know, I remember uh, writing, um, having a debate with Bill Roden, who wrote Forty Million Dollar Slaves. And, you know, I had a debate with him right at Georgetown University. And the whole debate was, you know, him saying that the current um, players have like, what did he say, abdicated their responsibilities to the community with treasonous vigor. Like he used like strong words like that. They don't care about, you know, the 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 current climate the way the athletes in the 60s does. And, you know, they and I was like, no, that is not true. Everything that you're saying is not true. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I think that his book, $40 Million Slave, is a book that every athlete should read. And it gives you a historical perspective of the history of athlete activism. And it shows you the direction of what not to go. But 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 he would make sweeping generalizations about all athletes who don't care about. I'm like, wait a minute now. You can't say that. That's not true. And it would bother me because the media would always have me come in or different organizations would have me come in and use that as the backdrop and then try to get me to talk bad about the current athletes. Mm. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. That is not true. You know, and, and even now, some of the interviews that I went on MSNBC. The whole purpose of their bringing me on was to try to get me to talk bad about the athletes for coming back from the strike. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, and, and it's just that that you see that always coming up, even in even when people talk about Michael Jordan. You know, what I mean, and I know that he had, there's definitely room for criticism, but I played with MJ for two years. I saw MJ do things in the community that nobody knows about. So for people to say that he didn't care about the community at all, and Nick, I was like, no, that's not true. I saw it with my own eyes. You know what I mean? That's not true. So it's just it's just interesting when people run with the notion um, because they they see somebody write it or they see, you know, you know, somebody report it or something like that. I was like, no, what people can report can be inaccurate. <laughs> right, for sure. Or it's what they want to believe. So they try to look for facts that, you know, line up with their own beliefs. But what would you say to the critics that are saying, oh, the NBA shouldn't be doing this? They, you know, shouldn't get into political things or these social issues. They should just stick to playing basketball. You know, you mentioned the Lori Ingram thing. Uh, I feel like, first of all, most of the people that are saying this, I will say that, you know, the guys that are saying, oh, I'm never going to watch the NBA again, they were people that probably never supported the NBA. And they're just, you know, you look at their Twitter timeline and they've said, six different times in the last six years that they're never going to watch the NBA again, but surely, you know, they, they continue to watch and, and tweet their anger. Um, so, I mean, a lot of it is again, performative and uh, things like that. But, you know, what would you say to critics that are saying maybe the NBA shouldn't go down this route? Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, the, 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 there's certain people who are always going to criticize when they don't agree with you. That's the thing. That's the caveat. So, you know, you saw, you know, Herschel Walker was speaking at the uh, Republican convention. You know, why? He was, a, he was a former athlete. But so they didn't want him to just be quiet and stay in his lane and stay in his place. And, you know, but because he was saying what they agreed with. And that's the caveat usually. Um, but I will say that, you know, it's really hypocritical 
That's all. That's all. It's just hypocritical. And when somebody disagrees with you, the, the notion isn't to just, you know, debate you or tell, talk about the, the particulars of where they disagree with or where they have a different opinion, but just that you don't even know what you're talking about. So you shouldn't even be talking. And that's, that's just so insulting. You know what I mean? It's just an insulting, demeaning position to take. And so right now you're seeing you know, Trump just tweeted that, you know, just said that about all the all the players like they don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, Laura Ingram, all, you know, all of them, Sean Hannity, you know, Tucker Carlson, all of them, just the way that they characterize NBA athletes is a way or all athletes, you know, when they disagree with you is that you absolutely don't know anything about this topic. And that's the part where, you know, you, you look towards the athletes of the past, like Bill Russell. You know, who said, what did he say? I'm not a clown used to entertain your circus. I'm a human being. Um, you look at, you know, Kareem, who evolved. And it's interesting because all of these things, all these statements that they've said all apply right now as if they could have said them yesterday. Yeah. You know, I mean, all of them. And it, it's 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 amazing to see. And then it's also kind of sad to see, um, you know, Elgin Baylor, he was back in 1959. Um, he made a statement. He said, I'm a human being. Um, I'm not an animal put in a cage and let out for the show. Mm. That's a strong statement. But the fact that we still have to, you know, I mean, LeBron James could have said that statement yesterday in response to Trump, who said that he should just, you know, and, and that's that it's unfortunate that there are still people who think and feel like that. But that's just that's just the reality. Have you had any conversations with current players throughout the last week or two, you know, just to offer your assistance or make sure players make the most of this moment? I know you support what they're doing and, you know, the fact that they did create the social reform coalition and things like that. But again, you're known for activism. Whenever we were starting the site, actually, I was telling some friends, oh, you know, that we got Tom Thomas. He's doing some articles with us. And they were like, oh, I can't wait to see what he has to say about these different topics because you're known as being that guy. So have any players reached out to you and, and talked about kind of how they're handling this or the current situation? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm on a, um, you know, a, you know, a, a group text with a lot of different players. So we talk about a lot of different things um, that David West started. And, you know, they, they, they are, they were so frustrated after this happened and everybody didn't really know how to react. Everybody just had a lot of emotions after the video came out of James Blake and you're seeing him being shot in the back. It was such a moment of, um, you know, shock to be honest with you. And you just saw people like, you know, in the group text, um, just expressing their anger, their frustration, their every and everything. And then they, you know, they they said the same thing in in you know publicly. And it's the thing about it is that people don't understand that athletes feel the same sting as you know regular black people. You know what I mean? It's like people think that 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 athletes are in this protective bubble and not affected by things that regular black people are affected by. And I hear that all the time. It's like, wait a minute. Well, you're an athlete. So it's different for you. I'm like, no, that's not true. Like, who again, who told you that? How would it be different for me? You know, I mean, and, and people don't understand that. You know what? I remember Russell Westbrook said when I when I interviewed him um, in my book. He said that, you know, he's he's and this is when he was playing with Oklahoma City. So he was saying, yeah, 
I'm in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, you know, looking in the stands and there's, you know, thousands of fans screaming my name. Their kids have my jersey on. They love me and everything like that. He was like, but if I was, you know, if after the game I'm driving and my car is broken down at the side of the road, like Terrence Crutcher, he referenced a case um, that happened in Tulsa uh, where Terrence Crutcher was killed by the police. But he said, but if, if, if my car was broken down the side of the road like Terrence Crutcher's was, would you then look at me as a threat? You know, if I if, if I turned around and he put himself in the position of Terrence Crutcher. So he said, if the police came up to me and I thought that they were there to help me and I turned around, would you then draw your guns and, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and be afraid of me and stop and think that, you know, it, so it was it was this powerful statement, but it was showing where, you know, people don't understand. Once we leave the court, we're still black. You know what I mean? Like once we leave the court, the field, whatever, when we are when we are stopped by the police, you know, we're looked at as a threat. That's it. That's all. And our kids are looked at as a threat. And that's the reality that we're in right now. So that frustration of then knowing that reality, but then hearing people after a Jacob Blake situation happens, immediately go into justifying why the police were well within their rights to shoot him seven times in the back. You know what I mean? And it happens after every case, every single case, you know, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, Mike Brown, everybody goes into, and I say everybody, I mean in mainstream America, America goes into this mode of justifying why the, the, the young man or young woman like Sandra Bland or, you know, Breonna Taylor, why they deserve to die. Yeah. And that's a tough pill to swallow. You know what I mean? And and that's the part where, you know, people think that that doesn't affect athletes the same way it affects everybody else. And that, that couldn't be further from the truth. I feel like that's part. One of the problems I feel like is that people don't realize that NBA players are people too, kind of like you're saying. And I feel like maybe this is humanizing them a bit. The fact that they're showing their emotions and showing how these kind of stories and uh, situations impact them. But that's been an issue for a while, you know, whether it's the stuff that people say on social media to them or, um, you know, they, they view these guys as superheroes or like video game characters, especially the top players in the league. You mentioned playing with Michael Jordan. You know, I feel like if people don't view MJ as someone that wakes up every day and eats breakfast and then goes and talks to his kids and blah, blah, blah. It's you're Michael Jordan. You're, you know, they, they don't even, I feel like, I think some fans can't picture them as being an actual person. And it's the same right. way with the LeBron James and, and people like that. I think it's gotten a little bit better with social media because you see these people in their homes and, you know, doing different things and they're kind of with you throughout the day. Uh, but, Maybe, you know, I think that has helped a little bit, but how much of a problem is that? Just fans not being able to see players as humans and not even just play, you know, players, not even just athletes, but I feel like all celebrities kind of deal with that. No, no, that's definitely true. And that's why, you know, now, you know, seeing the the, the human side of players, um, I think it's important. I mean, Doc Rivers is giving his very honest, um, you know, response to the media in his address of the media, I think that was important to see. I mean, LeBron expressing to the media, Chris Paul, all the athletes who are who are expressing their emotions to the media, it's important for people to see because, you know, it, it, it shouldn't, and this is the frustrating part, because it shouldn't take LeBron James saying it for people to now understand that it really is an issue. 
You know what I mean? It, it shouldn't. That that shouldn't be what it takes. But the reality is that sometimes that that is what is needed because you know now all of LeBron James fans are going to listen to him and say, okay, they see his emotions, they see he's how he's expressing this, and then they see the human side of him, and they look at it differently. And that that's that's sometimes what it takes. But it's just, but then on the flip side, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's unfortunate that it takes that for you to be able to understand what everybody has been saying for a very long time that there is an actual issue right that's the frustrating part yeah it opens some eyes but then it's like you know how it makes you wonder how are you not seeing it until now but i guess better late than never uh and yeah it is i do think uh you know with a lot of these players that that's a huge reason why speaking out is so powerful and so important because you know they reach people that uh maybe don't understand and then are having these conversations for the first time or suddenly do their research. So it has been great to see. Uh, switching gears for a second, you wrote a okay. great piece about Coach John Thompson, who tragically okay. passed away at age 78 today. I know you guys had a special relationship. How did you get to know each other? Well, we, we, we um, you know, I always wanted to go to Georgetown. And I, you know, Syracuse was actually my second choice. I, I always knew that I was going to play in the Big East. I just love the Big East style, the Big East, you know what I mean? That, 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 you know, that grit, that physical style, that's just what I love. So I knew I was going to go to the Big East. But, um, yeah, I always wanted to go. Georgetown was my number one school. I, re- I remember reading about John Thompson and, and seeing how he cared for his players and how he, you know, pushed his players and was that father figure with his players and, you know, was, was tough on them, but also, you know, put their, his arm around them and he, you know, guided them and nurtured them and, prepared them for life and everything like that. So, yeah, of course. And that's, I remember seeing him standing up to racism in the NCAA and, you know, standing up for causes and issues. So I was like, oh yeah, that's definitely where I want to go. And, um, you know, it just so, so happened that at the time when I was coming out, they had a lot of big men. So they didn't really need another big man. So, you know, so they didn't recruit me and, um, you know, I ended up going to Syracuse and I just wanted to terrorize Georgetown for my entire college career. <laughs> and so we, we developed afterwards when I came here in D.C. with the Wizards. That's when we really developed uh, a friendship. You know, he would come out. He would come out to a lot of my events. And, and I, actually, the event that I, that I mentioned earlier um, where I was debating um, Bill Roden, that was actually at Georgetown University. And John, Coach John Thompson had, was there. And had the whole team there. Mm. And he, I saw a young Roy Hibbert. Uh, Jeff Green was there. I mean, and they were in, in there taking notes. He had them all taking notes. I mean, and I would there would be a lot of different events that I would have. And I would just look in the crowd and see John Thompson sitting there with his arms crossed, you know, just just listening and, and supporting. And, you know, he, he was I, I talked to him a lot. Um you know, so so it was a, a mutual, real respect that we had for each other. So it was just, you know, I mean, and what he means here in D.C., like, oh, my gosh, he's like, you know, like the godfather of D.C. Like he has he's so well respected um, here, like on a whole different level. So it, 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 is, it is a tremendous loss, um, but he's definitely going to, you know, be remembered forever and honored and uh you know, it was a tough one, though. That was, and it was unexpected to, you know, wake up this morning and see because we just, you know, got over, you know, just just experienced, um, you know, Chadwick Bozeman 
um, and this this weekend, and we're talking about that, and we watched, you know, Black Panther last night, and you know, it's it saw the tribute, and it was like, goodness gracious. Then right before that, Cliff Robinson, yeah, and I was like, oh man, I knew him, you know what I mean? Like he, like that was Uncle Cliff, like he was he was my man, you know. And Lute Olson, I Lute Olson, you know, recruited me. I remember him coming up to my high school at Booker T. And it was, you know, so it's just it's just been tough. Like this this year has sucked as far as that. You know, you hear, you see a lot of people posting on social media how this year everybody's just ready to get this year over with. That's that's how it felt again this morning opening, you know, my social media and seeing that uh Coach Thompson had passed away. Yeah, well I'm sorry for your loss. And yeah, it's been a rough couple of days in a really rough year. So I totally agree there. It's been it's been brutal. Last question for you. Um and Speaking of this year, I feel like, you know, everyone's kind of dealing with certain mental health issues. Everyone's stuck inside. You can't really go out. Things aren't normal for anyone, really. So I was interested whenever players in the bubble started talking about, you know, their mental health and some of the struggles they've been dealing with because they're there 24-7. I know recently family members were allowed to come to the bubble in the second round, but guys were going a long time away from their family and friends. Uh, you know, Paul George came out and said that he dealt with depression, and that was one of the reasons why he was struggling in the first round series. LeBron James said that he considers leaving the bubble on a daily basis. I mean, a lot of guys are talking about how tough it's been, you know, in, in terms of uh, the mental health challenges in the bubble. You know, what do you, obviously, in, in a year that is already really tough and people have lost loved ones and it's been, you know, brutal. You know, whenever you look at that situation and how the guys are handling the bubble, you know, what do you make of that guys now, first of all, dealing with that in the bubble, but then also what we've seen from NBA players being more open about their mental health in general? I, I mean, I think it's it's so so even going back a little further, you know, I played in with the Wizards at a time where I remember Shemiqua Hosklaw kind of pioneering the mental health discussion. And when she went through her mental health issues, she didn't receive any support. It was one thing that was it was just taboo for players to say anything about their mental health. And, you know, I always refer back to her and always, you know, champion her and, and as being the, the like one of the pioneers to really start this entire discussion of players being open, feeling open enough to be honest that they're dealing with mental health issues. And I always go back to Shamiqua, you know, because I remember the, the, the way that the media demonized her. That's the only way I could use is like demonized her after her struggles. And she was struggling. And sometimes, you know, we, we developed a, a, a relationship here just because she was playing with the Mystics and I was playing with the Wizards. So we just both supported each other. So I remember just texting her, hey, Shamiqua, you all right? All right, just 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 checking on you. You know what I mean? Like type of thing. Hey, I just saw the news, you know, I'm praying for you. And I don't really have nothing else to say, but just, you know, stay encouraged type of thing. And, you know, she talks about how she felt completely alone. How, you know, the media just as far as, and she struggled. And so now when I see years later, you know, I see different players have the courage to be able to speak out about their mental health issues and be embraced, you know, and not be ridiculed to the point where because this is the thing, you know, for a long time. Now, that and that was for women. So for men, 
mental health isn't even wasn't even like a topic. Yeah. Like you could they could they, people could understand something being wrong with your knee or something being wrong with your your back or your ankle or something like that. But mental, that wasn't even supposed to be a question. But now, I mean, like after Shamiqua, there's like a large percentage of of the um, NBA teams that have a person dedicated to dealing with the mental health of players. Like that's their actual position. And that all started with Shaniqua. You know what I mean? Because there that wasn't even a thing back then. It was it was it was not existent. So I, I applaud all the players now for having the courage to be able to come out and talk about their mental. You know, Keon Dooling is doing a lot with that now. That's my guy. We was on the uh in union together. And if you want to really, you know, you can look back at his story because he struggled with it. Yeah. Um, you know, Royce White is another one. That's a tragic story. You know, when the NBA did not embrace mental health issues and they didn't give him any support. And that was just a few years ago. That wasn't I mean, that, you know, we're talking about things in terms of, you know, five year, 10 year blocks. And Royce White happened not that long ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so we made leaps and bounds now to where they're able to deal with mental health without ridiculing somebody completely like Royce White. And that's 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 growth. But I, I I I that's a long way of saying I applaud Paul George for you know having the courage to be honest about what he's dealing with and you know all players. But it, you know people don't know what players go through, and that's why they shouldn't be so quick to judge players. I'll I'll, I'll say it like that. What are some of those things that? You know, last question for you. What are some of those things that guys are dealing with, especially, you know, now I think in the social media age, Adam Silver came out recently and said, our players are unhappy. They're not, you know, they're depressed. They have anxiety. They're dealing with all these different things. What are some of the unique challenges that a player deals with because of, you know, their stature and their career and the schedule they're on? You know, what are some of those things that guys have to have to face? I mean everything. Everything that you that you could. This is the thing that everything that you can imagine as far as dealing with mental health. When you see the like when you see the commercials with with you're dealing with mental health and they list all the different things. Players deal with all of things. You know what I mean? Anxiety, stress. Um, you know, it, it's it, depression. All of those things. And you know, it, it's. I just can't. I just can't reiterate enough that I am glad that. The NBA has embraced um, taking mental health seriously and treating mental health because you can treat mental health and give players the type of help that they need for them to have long, successful careers and successful lives. You know, or you can ignore mental health and then you have these tragic stories. And there's been a lot of tragic stories that I that I have seen. And that's the part where, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate that it took this long, but I'm glad that the NBA is in a position now where they are taking it seriously and um, they have protocols put in place. Absolutely. Well said. Atan, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Everyone, make sure you check out Atan's articles on basketballnews.com and follow him on Twitter at AtanThomas36. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out basketballnews.com. Tons of great articles on the site right now. This podcast drops new episodes every Monday, so keep an eye out for those. And until next time, thanks for listening.